Seat yourselves, men and women of planet Earth. Come as you are, from work, from taverns, from study, science hall, and all that exists. Come all who are weary of their status quo, bored, hungry, unsatisfied. Join us today at Conscious Speaks. Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. It's Kelly J, host of Conscious Speaks. Today, we have an amazing audio healing experience to create with you today. Spirit led all the way from Linwood, Washington, our home here in the Pacific Northwest, author Stephen Greenbaum, author of One Family, Indivisible. It's a spiritual memoir. Stephen's intention for the show today, he said he hopes to share with people that interfaith is a way we can move t- together that we can move together as opposed to against each other. And I was also in the mood, I was sparked in my soul strand today to ask Stephen if he might want to add anything to his intention for the listeners out there today about his sharing of his book and his story in his life. Well, just my hope would be that people might find it of interest, and hopefully find that there's a way for us to listen to each other, respect each other, that that we don't have to necessarily agree, uh, and that our diversity is a strength, and so often we're taught that it's a weakness. And if people, I can't cure that, I'm not going to try, but if, if somehow in when, how we discuss things today, we can people feel nudged to to be a little more open to to respecting rather than fearing our differences. Then that that would be a lovely thing. Ah, oh, I love that. I love that. I hear inclusivity. I hear um, giving people space and breadth to feel their way into things, um, which is a beautiful way to leave the doorway open for the conversation. And it uh, takes me into uh, a quote that Stephen uses. He says, when, in his life, he did learn that when one door closes, you kick another one open. Yes. Uh, this is something that I learned in, in, when I was in college, faced with a rather difficult situation. And uh, a, a well-meaning friend said, well, you know, one door closes, another door opens. And, uh, oh, well, that's nice, except I don't feel like waiting here passively for another door to be opened. So it seemed to me that if one door closes, then, okay, that door is closed. Let's see what might be available and don't just wait for it to open. Uh, Help the door open (laughs) a little bit. Uh, Kick it in. Yeah. You know, I really, that one, that just went right through me. I thought, I really like that. Because, and the key word was passivity. Um, I just received a meme from someone the other day, and they said, have you seen this? And it said something about waiting to spirit to work through you or um, using spirit to work. And that really mm-hmm. shows me where you're, that whole, wait, there's a door. I'm going to go find it and kick it in. Yes. Going to find it and kick it in. I, your book, Stephen's book, is amazing. It's Stephen Greenbaum, and that's spelled G-R-E-E-N-E-B-A-U-M. And it's One Family Indivisible, a spiritual memoir. And I have been riveted since I picked this book up. I really love the story. And one of the things that really I loved is your sense of being aware at such a young age. Uh, well, 
that's a wonderful, positive way of putting it. <laughs> uh, my my father uh, frequently accused me of being born old, uh, but for whatever reason, I and I take no credit for it. It's part of my DNA or or whatever. It's just simply uh, I've always been fascinated with what's what's happening and trying to figure out what can I learn from this? What good, bad, or indifferent? Uh, what's, what's learnable? What's learnable. I love that. Any situation that came up, you know, you, it, what was really interesting for me, we have a really special mark at 12 years old uh, that we'll talk about in a second that is really important for Stephen's uh, spiritual journey. But I really loved, there was a movie that you took um, it was a movie about war, but you took mm-hmm. the whole turn the page. Yes, uh, that was, I can't guarantee it's the first movie I ever saw, but it's definitely one of the first that I remember. It's called The Desert Fox. Uh, it was about uh, the German general Rommel, and the part that I was, well, supposed to, at least in terms of what the family got, you know, it's a war story, eh, uh, I'm not too interested in people shooting each other. Uh, then it's about Rommel being heroic and being part of the plot against Hitler. Well, it's a little late, Rommel. I mean, glad you did it, but good grief. But the part that absolutely riveted me was at the very beginning, Rommel uh, has been, I think it's diphtheria, but I, I wouldn't guarantee that. He's been ill. He's back in Germany. And while he's there, his forces in North Africa are losing, so they fly him back. He's not feeling well yet. And this is the very early part of the movie. And he comes back and uh, he says, well, show me the maps. Okay. And he gets up to speed and he says, okay, well, and obviously I can't quote exactly, but he says, well, we'll do this, this, and this. If it works, we'll take him by surprise. If it doesn't work, we'll know not to do it again. And I went, yes, this is how to live. Uh, you, You take the information you can. You make the best decision you can. Uh, if it works, terrific. If it doesn't work, don't do it again. Turn the page. Turn the page. And uh, that became something I inhaled, and it became part of, of, of my entire life. It's just this whole idea of, okay, don't just sit there. Get the most information you can. Make the best decision you can. But once you've made the decision, don't stay up all night wondering if it was right or wrong. Turn the page, move ahead. Keep going. Yeah. Keep going. I love that. And and to have that be such a part of a creed in your life at such a young age really just showed me through reading your book. You were analyzing each situation. Um, you know, when you talk about, you know, turn the page, when you talk about making quick decisions, you were able to do that in many different instances throughout the story. And and all of them, I mean, you know, with the parish church. Um, that on page 21, I wanted to read a little bit. So let me just turn to that. I have book, I have like pages leaped and little notes all over here um, from, from Stephen's book. It's just so fascinating. I love it. And this is from page 21. It says, the spiritual highlight of the trip came one early afternoon mm. in, in southern France when for some reason everyone else in the family was resting. I went for a walk and met a man. I was able to communicate with him with hand gestures. He showed me an alley and then pointed out a church. 
Somehow he was able to impart to me that I should come back at sunset. With gestures, he made me understand that the sun would cast its light down the alley and that the church was built for that. The light and the shadows on the church would be spectacular. I promised I would return, but Mom and Dad had other plans. That was disappointing, but I turned the page. Yeah, it was, it was, it still brings warmth to my heart. This, I was at that point, I was 12 years old. Uh, so what I was doing walking by myself out, I don't know, but that's who I was also at 12. But that this wonderful man would take the time and gesture and show me the church uh, and take the time to, to, to and I, I wish I could, and I tried, I actually went on Google and tried, well, where, where would this, all I remember is it was somewhere in the south of France, and I really don't know the name of the church or where, but the, the the idea that this man would would take the time and uh, and show me and and this this beautiful site and share it it was was really wonderful but yes uh, the other thing was okay mom and dad said no okay that's that uh, I keep that memory in my head but you turn the page uh, you move on right right for me to ha- have such strength at will at 12 is is just a testament. I mean, I wish I don't think I had it then. And I, I think that I have really good strength now because I've been practicing for seven years. But um, I think that if we had a little bit more of those educational teachings taught to us as children, we might be able to maybe not miss some of these moments when someone would try to show us something. I think we miss a lot of opportunities. Yeah, we I don't know. I, I, I would hesitate to to speak about anything other than true for me. Yeah, true. Uh, but for me, it was always, always, what can I learn from this? And then what's next? What's next? <laughs> yeah. I love it. I love it. You know, I since we're on the age 12. Um, <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear. <laughs> I'm just going to jump into it. And um, there was something amazing that really solidifies the beginning, I think, of uh, a journey for you, for me here. And it says, um, you know, I'm just wondering how to introduce it because it's so important. I wonder if I should let you just share the quote. I don't know. Okay. Um, It's that you were talking, um, you had a message actually from God. And it was um, how you perceived and heard him speak to you and you were 12. And he said, they are killing each other in my name. Stop it. Well, you're, you're already a little ahead of me because it took me some time to decide what this voice, who or what this voice was, other than the fact that I knew it wasn't my voice. I knew what it sounded like when I was thinking. Uh, and then it, it just, well, who else could it be? They're killing each other in my name. Right. Stop it. But as you know, because you read after that, what happened was I kept thinking, well, is this God? Isn't it God? And hey, uh, you realize uh, you're talking to a kid here. Did you know? Did you dial a you know get the wrong area code? You know, you're trying to reach an adult and blow it. Uh, what am I supposed to do? And then I, I, what happened for me at that time was I I went through the agony of okay. I don't know who else it would be, but God. All right, fine. But 
you realize I'm a kid. So would you please give me some guidance here? And nothing. Silence. And I, I asked for, or if you will, prayed for guidance and nothing. And, you know, at age, particularly at age 12, but I'm sure at other ages as well, I just got ticked. <laughs> and uh, I could use a stronger word, but at 12, I wouldn't have known those words. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, said, well, all right, if, if, if there's no guidance here, then... Turn the page. Turn the page. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I love it. And you're right. I, I'm I'm speaking from reading the book further ahead out yeah. there, listeners. So I apologize for um, almost missing some of the fun parts where Stephen was questioning what the voice was before he could make a decision of what he thought. And again, there he is, not just taking it and writing with it and you know, asking more questions, waiting for an answer. No answer, turn the page. It's just really amazing, uh, the skills. I love them. I'm, I know that I'm probably gushing all over you, but they're skills that I wish I would have had. <laughs> you know, it makes me think of a part. Um, you know, there's a part in the book that says, or actually on the website for MSI, which is where Stephen's book is published, and it says about the author. It says, Stephen Greenbaum directed church, synagogue, and UU choir for many years before leaving to found the Living Interfaith Church anchored by the faith of interfaith. He has published numerous articles and two books, The Interfaith Alternative and Practical Interfaith, about his unshaking, unshakable belief that the world's religions can find harmony and abiding love as they embrace their diversity. So in, in the first part of the show, we're really introducing you to Stephen, letting you get to know him a little bit about his journey, his upbringing, and I wanted you to hear a little bit about what he's done. Because it's a really amazing, uh, this journey, and I love all the parts. One of the best parts at the beginning of the book was Stephen explaining his Jewish family and upbringing. Because I do have Jewish friends, but I've never sat through the dinners and the conversations mm-hmm. and listening to how the family conversations worked. And can you explain a little bit about your life and um, your family growing up? Uh, I'm, I'm unsure if you want me to get to the specific uh, shaking uh, but one of the things, and I don't think this is Jewish, uh, one of the things, there's a television show, what is it, uh, Blue Bloods, where they get around the family table. and th- This was dinner. Every, uh, this is the one time of day that was glorious because whether we were together at breakfast or lunch, the whole family came together at dinner, and we all talked. And what was cool is that as long as I didn't say anything too terribly untoward, uh, uh, my my voice was valued, and we talked. And if I said something really stupid, my father or my mom, usually my father, would gently uh, point me back in in a different direction. Didn't say just shut up, but made it clear that you know think before you talk. Uh, but what you may be pointing at uh, was something that for me was uh, a huge uh, spiritual. Uh, experience uh and i i really had five of them over over my lifetime uh this was this was the first this was actually before we well went to europe and uh i i'm guessing i was around six or seven ish uh 
but there's got to be a certain age I've found with friends that when the children's mind clicks on, you know, you, you can mention stuff to a kid and for a while they don't really track what you're talking about and then suddenly everything clicks. Well, I'm sure that the Shoah or the Holocaust uh, had come up, but this was the first time that it actually clicked in my head. Uh, and the thing that blew me away, you know, yes, yeah, six million Jews were killed, but uh, six million is just a huge, it's a big number. And particularly for a kid, it, it's almost a meaningless number. It's just big. Yeah. But my father explained that one out of every three Jews on the planet, two out of three in Europe, but one out of three on the planet had been exterminated, like, like so many, stepped on, like, like so many ants. Uh, and I'm Jewish. And to be honest, at six or seven, I had no idea what being Jewish was other than the fact that I was Jewish. And in those days, there's things called restrictive covenants. So every, the families around us were also Jewish because there were only certain places where Jews were allowed to live. Uh, and whatever Jewish was, I'm Jewish, and one out of every three three people like me had been exterminated. And it just, it was one of the, it was, my life up until that moment had been one of happy, you know, I was a happy kid, my my mom loved me, my father loved me, my sister, uh, three years, two months, 25 days older, but who's counting, uh, <laughs> She was loving. My grandparents were loving. My, I have a, my life was safe. And then suddenly, in an instant, bam, my life isn't safe. Uh, people hate me. People who have never met me hate me. And it was just devastating. Uh, and I am so grateful that my mom took me aside afterwards, because if she hadn't, I think my life would have gone in a very different direction. But after... After seeing how completely shaken I was, my mom looked at me, and I remember this because when, when my mom is looking at me eyeball to eyeball, something important is coming. <laughs> uh, you know, pay attention. Uh, and she, she said to me, uh, uh, do you like being hated? No. Then she asked, do you like what it feels like to be hated no and she looks straight at me with that motherly cautionary finger in my face then don't ever hate and that was huge that was uh it just okay uh you don't like being hated don't ever hate and then i don't know if you want me but just continuing just briefly, uh, one of the things that I took from that is as I got older and began to have friends and acquaintances who were uh, African-American or back in the 1950s, uh, the, simply Negroes, uh, and realizing that slavery happened here, you know, uh, the, the Shoah, the Holocaust happened in Europe. Slavery happened here. And after slavery, Jim Crow happened here. And as we all know, up to this moment, the white supremacists in this country are still uh, hating uh, people of color. And no, I don't, I, 
do not try to pretend that I know what it feels like, but I have at least an inkling of what it feels like. And I, when that first moment, a child uh, of color, a black child, when he or she realizes that they live in a country with this history and that they aren't safe, that people hate them without ever having met them. Uh, this is this is the kind of thing that just blows my mind and makes me understand that, again, going back to the title of the book, as far as I'm concerned, we are one family. Stop dividing us. Right. Right. Uh, and yes, I'm passionate about it because this is, it is such a horrible thing to, to, to have this kind of hate. Ambiguous hate. And just, and not stand up and not say no. It's when I was reading the book, I really, you know, growing up white in America, um, not with a silver spoon in my mouth or yeah. even probably not even, I mean, we, we had enough and we weren't poor, but we weren't middle class, yeah. I don't think. And so, but I grew up in a multicultural neighborhood with all my friends. So I never saw color. We were just all together. Mm-hmm. But to, I never, the way that you've painted the picture of, the, you know, people of different races growing up in a place that's not safe, the way that you were able to break down how when you, later on in the story in college, lived in a neighborhood um, that you saw racial profiling from the policemen and you felt it and it felt different than the neighborhoods you'd grown up in. Like, and to, to grow up in your own country and to feel that hate or that not trusting, you know, it, it just really, it really just opened my eyes again. Like, I just don't think we could open our eyes enough until we get to the point where we're, one family indivisible and listeners can you please stay with us we're gonna uh, take a quick break and then we'll come back and we're gonna talk some more with Stephen Greenbaum about one family indivisible a spiritual memoir and his life and journey and calling here to help educate us thank you Remember the first moment you learned about the things that divide us? Race or religion or gender? In One Family Indivisible, Stephen Greenbaum shares his life story through the prism of spirituality. Throughout our lives, we learn a multitude of lessons from a multitude of different experiences, and each lesson shapes us. Greenbaum remembers the moment in his childhood when, as a young Jew, he first understood the Holocaust. He remembers falling out with his father over patriarchy. He remembers the grief of losing far too many loved ones, and he remembers questioning God. His spiritual crisis led to a revelation. There is no inherently right right or wrong spiritual tradition. What counts are not our beliefs, but what we do with them. This moment of understanding spurred him towards a new faith, inner faith. In One Family Indivisible, Stephen Greenbaum's memoir catalogs a life spent working to break through the door to mutual respect. A powerful story for people of all religions, races, and creeds. Pick up your copy today at Amazon.com. An alternative to everything else on your radio dial. Alternative Talk 1150. 
Welcome back, everybody, to Alternative Talk 1150 AM KKNW. This is Conscious Speaks, and we are live every Thursday with Kelly J. That's me. And if you are just joining the conversation, we are talking with Stephen Greenbaum about his book, One Family, Indivisible. It's a spiritual memoir. I keep putting it's in there because I'm reading his spiritual memoir, (laughs) and it's so transformational. But the title is One Family, Indivisible, a spiritual memoir. And I am I'm wanting to jump to a point in the book, and I think I might have just lost that page, but it was talking about, oh, where did it go, Stephen? Don't know. Don't know. Me neither. We were talking, it was talking about, oh, I know what it was talking about, talking about our beliefs, that we are what we believe. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, what one of, for me as a Jew, one of my absolute favorite holidays, holy days, which is where we get the name holiday. It comes from holy day. Uh, I just hit my forehead, everybody, because <laughs> like I study words and that one hadn't came up. Okay, got it. <laughs> uh, but my, my all-time favorite holy day holiday was Pesach or Passover. And uh, when I got into college, uh, one of the things that was really cool is I I had a class in ancient history and a class in the Bible as literature. And I talked my two professors into letting me write one paper for the two classes. <laughs> uh, and to be, to be fair, I, it ended up being a 67-page paper, so I didn't slough it off. But it let me just spend hours and hours researching uh, the Exodus uh, and one of the things that I found which was so absolutely fascinating to me is that if you start with, okay, there was an exodus, let's see what we can find. There's, our, there's a lot of archaeological as well as historical evidence that would say, yeah, okay, here's the exodus and here's where they went and this is how it happened. But what hit me was that if you don't start with the idea there was an exodus, there's actually nothing in the archaeology or the historical record that documents an exodus. Uh, and what occurred to me is that it's, it's our beliefs that shape the world that we see. Uh, and if you believe in the exodus, boom, it's there. And if you don't believe in the exodus, zap, it's gone. Yeah, exactly. And that just that blew me away. It blows me away to this day, I mean, um, because it's something that I truly use in life, even with simple things. And we could take it with something so huge as, you know, a biblical story to understand or prove a point to, I'll just be silly, like when I'm working with food, like something I do or don't want to eat, I'm like, do I really love ice cream? If I never knew it existed, I wouldn't even know I was missing it, right? right? And so we could break it down the way we think and how what we believe is it's really placed upon what we've perceived, what's been given to us, or we've taken on through our perception and stories and caretakers growing up. Sure. And what we believe will shape how we perceive what we see. Right. And, and we, we can see that today, and I don't want to get into anything more than that, but when we, what we see and this, for me, uh, and I did some research on it later when I was in, in college, uh, how we perceive things tells us what we, 
or what we believe tells us how we are going to perceive something. And if we believe th- things differently, we perceive the very same thing differently, which, you know, is everyone is modestly well aware of the fact that five people seeing the same thing will per- may not, may report it differently. Right. But it and it's the same thing with really almost how we view the world. I agree. I agree. That's why I think it's so important for us to take the time to slow down and think about what am I thinking about? What do I think about what I'm thinking about? And then how am I reacting to that? Because I sure. think our beliefs, what we choose to see or place in front of us, creates our reality. So where are we placing ourselves to create the reality in? Is it something that we want to continue creating? Yeah. Or do we want to turn the page? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> right. Which brings us to our conversation at commercial break where we're talking about flipping the frequency or just changing from fear to love. Yeah. And that's what One Family Indivisible is about. Your life and your career and in, in, in your education, uh, I just I wish I would have had the wherewithal to understand like you did that you were that you needed to learn what you needed to learn to do what you needed to do at such a young age. You were very heavily involved in what you were going to choose to feed your mind to create your path. Yes. Can you tell the listeners out there some of the schooling that you did in the colleges and the degrees that you have in mythology and choir and the different routes that uh, you well, took? I, I have bounced around considerably. I love it. <laughs> uh, my, And I guess this is where we slip in the fact that uh, I clearly have a somewhat difficult-to-be-polite personality. <laughs> uh, I second at the end of the first quarter senior year of college, I was thrown out of the history department. Or actually, I was told either do what the history the head of the history department says, or I can't graduate. And my reply was, "Well, I can't graduate a history major." And I kicked open the door of the anthropology department and yes. graduated as an in, uh, with a mat, uh, BA in anthropology. Uh, then I went on for a master's degree in mythology because I was absolutely fascinated with how we perce- how we believe and how we perceive things and 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 the stories that we tell about creation about life and and how we organize it was just fascinating and uh, I was they couldn't throw me out because I'd already had something about to be published but my fellowship was canceled and so I left school for a year. Uh, worked, uh, took 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 a job, worked for a year, came back and finished my master's in mythology. Uh, then I went on for a master's several years later in mus in music, and yes. particularly choral music, and uh, they attempted to throw me out of that as well. Uh, and I was able to get my degree after some kicking and screaming. Uh, and then finally, some years later, when I went back to school, and this was not that long ago, this is a mere, uh, what, 10, 12-ish years ago, uh, went uh, to Seattle U for my master's in uh, pastoral studies. And the head of the department uh, told me that uh, that this really wasn't in the cards, and uh, I've figured out a way to get my master's degree. But the one thing that, you know, was clear is having been almost kicked out of bachelor's degree, having almost been kicked out of all three master's degrees, there's only one person who's common in all of these. Yes. <laughs> and that's me. So I can't blame them 
Right. Uh, it's it's who I am. Yeah, yeah. I, w- I just was loving this in the book. Every time someone say no, you're like, and after the first two times where you flipped it, about the third time you go, and you can guess what the answer is going to be. Like, yeah. um, I don't take no for an answer. I will figure this out. It's yeah. um, it was it's it's this different way of turning the page. I'm creating a new page. You never um, walked away. If it felt a hundred percent like you were, it was your truth. Yeah. And and it's such an inspiring story because I think sometimes we look to our we look to those who are our superiors in a situation, and we take what they say because we're taught that what they say is verbatim for real. Like, yeah. oh, I shouldn't be here, and you're like, no, no, I should be here. And, and you were smart enough to figure out how to do it in ways that really kind of, I mean, probably irked them a little bit because it was really quite eloquent. Um, well, thank you. And it worked out brilliantly because it was supposed to. I mean, switching majors, you know, all the classes that you took in a, some downtime that made you eligible to switch majors yeah. into anthropology and, and being there and what it taught you and opening up these other doors. You, you know, choosing to do choir, choir music, and learn how to become a just deciding to do it because (laughs) tell us about that oh that was uh again you can't just the idea of if one door closes kick open another uh you have to or i can't say you for me i had to look and say well what door is kickable uh and what happened was i i loved singing and i was in choir all the way through college and, and all of this. I loved, absolutely loved singing. I found it just, if you'll forgive the term, heavenly. <laughs> <laughs> and then I developed a problem with my jaw uh, where the jaw actually, <clears throat> excuse me, the jaw locked open. And when I was finally able to go to a doctor and get it to close and uh, to make a long story short, any singing career was out the, out the window. Well, there was only one possible way to stay with choral music and not sing, since I didn't play the piano. So the only door that was kickable was becoming a choir director. And he did. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) He did. And this book is amazing. If you want to talk about someone who's following their passion, never giving up, um, just, you know, being able to turn the page. And there's some parts in here where turning the page is hard and there's parts where you come back and it's really, it's a story. It's a full story. There's um, some heartache and some breaks that are in here with loss and, and, and searching and seeking. And every time, every time you've come back to your heart and you've been able to really just follow through and, and you have a message that you're bringing and, 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 and one family indivisible is is the third book, yeah. but the first two books were the first messages, weren't they? Can you talk yes. a little bit about them? Sure. Uh, the first book was once I understood, uh, and I get into that in One Family yeah. Indivisible, but once I understood that my call was interfaith, as a faith, and if you'll forget, Allow me to t- take a quick digression, because yes, one of the things that we do as a culture that I really, there are a whole lot of things that drive me nuts. This <laughs> is one of them. Uh, and that is that if we compare two things, we always have to come up, well, which one's better? Right. No, I which agree. Which one's right? And sometimes they're just different. They're just flaming different. And one of the things that I really want to be clear about is interfaith as dialogue 
has been around for a while and is really important. And it has been very, it's been crucial and helpful. And when I talk about interfaith as a faith, I'm not trying to replace interfaith dialogue. It's not one's right, the other's wrong. It's not one's better, the other's worse. They are, hello, different. So when I talk about interfaith as a faith, please understand I am respecting and loving and appreciating interfaith dialogue. It is crucial, but it's not what I'm talking about. (laughs) Okay, interfaith as a faith. Uh, And that's what the first book was based on, called The Interfaith Alternative. And uh, a a quick example, if, if that will help, interfaith as a faith looks at all of our spiritual traditions and says, they can, and that's the operative word, can lead us to the mountaintop. And if you will, imagine, imagine a, a spiritual mountain, and at the mountaintop lo- dwells love, compassion, justice, all within community. And this is what Islam is trying to teach us, what Christianity is trying to teach us, the Baha'i faith, Hinduism, Judaism, and hello, humanism. Yeah. They're all trying to take us to this mountaintop of love, compassion, justice, and acting in community. And as the Japanese folk saying says, there are many paths to the top of Mount Fuji. Interfaith as a faith takes as an article of faith that all of our paths can be righteous if we will walk them. And that's the crucial thing. It's not the path you walk, it's how you walk your path. It's not the religion you practice, it's how you practice your religion. So interfaith as a faith says, uh, all take what will help you. And so when I introduce myself in, in a spiritual setting, I will say my faith is interfaith. My spiritual path is Judaism. My tribe is humanity. And so I walk the path of Judaism. I haven't left it. I, it's what helps me be a better human. I have friends who are Christian. I have friends who are Buddhist. I have friends who are Muslim and others as well. Their paths help them be better human beings. And that's what's crucial. Yes. It's the most beautiful part because when we are able to love ourselves, when we get to be our religion versus just say it, yes. then we really do practice that love at the top of the mountain. We're yes. walking that path, and that allows us to go, this pertains to me, but it doesn't have to pertain to you. My rights stop where yours began, and, and where you begin is you. And yes. I'm here. So when we take our eyes off ourselves, we really see through the eyes of others. The mountain does have many paths to the yes. top. I, that's what I love about interfaith. It's, um, I, I think that for me, when I, I, I would want everyone to learn that, we don't have to replace a religion. No. We don't have to replace people. We want everyone, all the diversity, all the beauty, all the love. And in that you're able to, you know, practice this at Interfaith and have different spiritual leaders come in and show yes. what it's like to see through the eyes of another culture's way of practicing a religion is really beautiful. I love that. Yeah. And 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 also, and forgive me, I get a little excited when I talk no, about this. No, get excited. I do but, too. <laughs> but uh, one of the crucial things is, you know, you can say diversity is beautiful, but if we don't practice it, yes, uh, it's, it's just words. But the idea that, and one of the things, this is 
part of the list of things that drive me nuts about our culture. <laughs> uh, but one of the things about our culture is if I appreciate you and you're different, I diminish me. And that's right. that's so crazy. Yeah. The fact that you are different, uh, and it's it's like one of the things I like to say is, you know, good grief, we are all different feathers on the same peacock. Yeah. Uh, I like it. <laughs> but but different feathers are beautiful. Yes. It, it doesn't we don't the the fact that we are different should be should be reassuring, should be loving, the should be The fact that we're a feather. Yes. Makes us beautiful, right? Exactly. <laughs> and okay, we're different colored feathers. But we're all on the same flaming peacock. I like it. I like it. I like it a lot. And it doesn't matter where we are we talk. You talk about spirituality and 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 uh, responsible financial yes. financial responsibility and how I love how you learned that in, at an early age too. Um, your independence fund. I love that. <laughs> but, but everyone out there has a different strata and spectrum that sure. we live on. And so even to me, there's no one that's better. No, we're here to learn and to be where we are to grow and to learn how to walk our walk and be our spiritual path. For me. Um, however we came to be and to honor each other wherever the other person is. And so that comparison again is really what's hard. And I think that what's cool for me is to see that if we can teach or, or or start to share or educate that when we're younger, that we don't have to compare. I've learned it in life that a lot of people I've listened to conversations enough because that's what I spent my whole life doing was listening to everyone and trying to see how they're communicating. And Mm, if, if something if someone makes a choice, then if they change their mind, then all of a sudden the other one is bad. It's just right. it was never any good. And I go, no, it's just a different choice. Yeah. It, no, there's no, there's no, no, neither one is wrong or better than the other. You don't have, so somewhere along the line, and not everyone, I would never allude to that, but at least in my family and a lot of my friends, we, we had to choose which one was better and then, and then, and, and make no good of the other to liberate the right. one. And, and, and that's kind of with, if you look at the duality of our human nature, the same thing too. If we, yes. and we learn to love ourselves, then we don't have to compare things. Then we won't compare um, other people. We'll love them as we love ourselves. Yeah, which by odd coincidence <laughs> is a part of every one of our spiritual paths. I have a, a friend up in Canada, near, he just retired. Uh, I can definitely resonate with that, uh, <laughs> but... Uh, he was at the Scarborough Missions in Toronto, and he made this beautiful golden rule poster. Oh. And he took the golden rule in Hinduism, in Buddhism, in Judaism, in Islam, and, and from Native uh, spiritualities. And this whole idea of uh, doing to others, you know, as we would have others do to us, how or... In Judaism, it's do not do to others that which is distasteful to you, but it's the same thing. Yeah. Or, if you will, in my mom's words, if you don't like being hated, don't yeah. hate. Yeah. Uh, the, this idea of treating each other with respect, without, and again, I th- I think part of the problem is our our culture and going against the culture which says there's only one right path and therefore if I recognize you as being righteous and your path is different from mine suddenly my own path has turned out to be nothing and that's 
excuse me, garbage. I was going to use another word, but we won't. It is garbage. It really reminds me of back in the beginning times of war. Yeah. I mean, it's just old, outdated energy beliefs that aren't even ours that we're running on passed down through generations. Yes. They are coming through our ocular vision. They're coming through the attachment of what we perceive or believe through others. And it's getting, I think, time to kind of flush that out. And go, wait a minute, what do I believe? Where's this from? Why do I, why when I see this or I read that, do I feel this in my stomach? Maybe I should figure it out instead of just opposing it. Yeah. It's not even just religion, right? I mean, no. it's, it's politics, it's um, love, it's sports, it's schooling. Um, people, you know, want to be homeschooled or send their kids to public school. One's bad, one's good. It's a, it's a choice. Yeah. They're going to have different outcomes. We should always look at what the outcome is, right? Look at the outcome. And also, if we're dealing with ourselves, or at least for me, what, what's important is, is this help, helping me be a better human? Right. Is this helping me be a more loving uh, person on this planet? If it is, okay. If it isn't, whether it comes from Judaism or from Christianity or if it comes from politics— Right. Or whatever. If it's not helping me be a better human being, it's something that I need to get rid of. Yeah. And if it is helping me. Keep it. Keep it. Yeah. We don't, we don't turn the page on that one. Oh, we no. keep that one. That one we keep. You <laughs> we betcha. We keep that one. I wanted to go to uh, page 32. There's a little passage uh, that I wanted to share that I outlined. And it really, it really was uh, one that I loved. It says, of course, my religious training wasn't all as simple as, as that. Um, I made a little note that said me too. <laughs> it says, I was also being taught something that I rebelled against from the very beginning. I was told to be proud of being Jewish. Many years later, I would come to have more compassion for those who were asking us to be proud. Very often, a minority, particularly one that has received the backhand of history, feels it is important to make a statement. I'm proud of who I am, black and proud of it, gay and proud of it, a woman and proud of it, Jewish and proud of it. For me, being black or gay or female or Jewish or straight or white is a fact. It's just a fact, nothing more. I personally don't believe in pride under any circumstance. Proud of a fact. Yeah. uh, Well, again, different folks. For me, uh, the two the two things would be number one. Yes, I've I've never under personally understood pride. Uh, uh, To be proud of a fact. Uh, it's like it's like at one point I was told to be proud. You know, think of how many Jewish doctors there are, and my thought of well, if they're if they want to be doctors, I'm glad they're they're doctors, but they're not me. How can I be proud whether they're Jewish or Christian or whatever? Uh, they're not me. Yeah. Uh, but the other part of it is understanding pride when it's forced when you've been told for years. To be ashamed of who you are, right. then I think there is a natural and important reaction. So when some of my gay friends say I'm gay and proud of it, I understand, even though I don't personally adhere to the concept of pride, I understand where it's coming from because they have been told wrongly and obscenely to be ashamed of who they are. Right. And so they, they react by saying, well, I'm no, I'm not ashamed. I'm proud. But if we can get past this the one being right or the other, which right. is what we were alluding to. When we when we attach ourselves to someone else, and then if that's what they are or what they believe in doesn't um, 
attached to the person's belief, then that's when the shaming or the blaming. Right. But the way that you were able to go, wait a minute, it's not about me. Each each human yeah. soul is separate and beautiful for who they are. I can't take any glory in what they've accomplished, but I can recognize it. I yes. can honor it. Yes. I can love it. I can say, wow, that's amazing. But I really like the way that you're able to single out, like, why should I be proud about this? I didn't, it didn't make an, a, con- a connection. The, the way that you were always able to think about these deep thoughts so early on, it's just really amazing for me. I, I love the way that it really is interfaith, and it's like hand-walked you to these steps. Well, I, I thank you for that. I should also warn you that there are any number of people considered me an extremely obnoxious child for, <laughs> for thinking constantly. Right, exactly. Uh, I did not endear myself <laughs> to my teachers uh, for that reason. But I think that's the reason that you shine so bright. I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's very sweet. Thank you. I think that um, you know it. It's one of those things. You have a, you have a very special teacher. You talk about in in one family, indivisible, Dick yeah. Trexler. Yes. Can you tell about his theory to, about thinking before you know, not just believing what you hear or what's yeah, being taught. Yeah. Well, Dick, uh, he and I bonded even though at that point in my life, I I was still adhering pretty much to my father's pretty much right-wing outlook. Uh, And Dick Trexler was so far left that he made the leftist members of the the Occidental faculty uncomfortable because, I mean, he was really out there. But what he and I absolutely agreed on and what bonded us is think. Don't just blabber. And what, what I loved about Dick was that he appreciated in me that the two of us would sit down and we'd actually talk about stuff. We wouldn't argue. We'd exchange ideas. And and I don't know if this is what you're referring to, but it's the, it's the one thing that, that abs- that's still clear <laughs> in my head uh, about Dick that just cracked me up is that one day he was so sick and tired of writing on the board and everything he wrote on the board, everyone, you know, took notes. And, they, and, and I didn't have any warning of ahead of time, but I was just noticing on the board, he was writing garbage. I mean, I don't remember what it was particularly, but it it would be something like the War of 1812 taking place in 1942 uh, and uh, with Moses and, you know, and (laughs) whatever. And he was just just writing stuff. And he turned around and everyone except me, uh, I was sitting sitting there laughing my head off. And Dick turned around and he looked at all, he gave me a, a smile. And then he looked at everyone who had been carefully writing on everything. He says, why are you writing this down? It makes no sense. Uh, for crying out loud, if, if, you know, no matter who it is, if someone's giving you garbage, call them on it. Call them on it. Why haven't any of you said something? Right. And so, you know, Dick was, Dick was great. I, he, I, I love I loved him. Uh, yeah, I could tell you really you really got along with him. He was yes. one of your favorite professors yes. and teachers. You know, it makes me think of uh, it makes me think of um, a commercial I saw about a hero's award on CNN and a gentleman in India cleaned up plastic on the beach. He grew mm. up on a beach. Yes. And um, when he came back after being gone, it was covered, and so he decided to do something about it. One man, and um, he ended up he realized it was too big of a project for him so he started asking and enlisting other people to come help him mm-hmm. and 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 years later it's done but it wouldn't have happened if he wouldn't have started it and sure. it makes me think of dick trexler in that class it's like we have to question something yeah you know it makes us think about our conversation about seeing what do we believe how do we learn to dis 
to 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 detach from things that don't really honor our truth or our our religious choice of beliefs. How do we honor love at the top of the mountain? How do we yeah. get there? How do we become interconnected? Well, interfaith, I think, is a really beautiful way, and yeah. I'm so happy that you're on the show. Well, thank L- you. Listeners, I asked Stephen to come back and do two shows because the first part of the show, I wanted you to get to know a little bit about him, dig in and see his personality and um, really get a feel for him. And then when we come back next week, we're going to dive into his directive. Um, if you remember at the beginning of the show, we talked about being 12 years old, and he had um, a directive, a message that said, they are killing each other in my name. Stop it. And after a while of contemplating at 12 on his own to figure out whose voice, he decided it was most assuredly God's. And we have um, the second part of the book, which is really um, part three, One Family Indivisible. We're going to go into the next directive and really just dive in deep to some really wonderful happenings. So stay with us. Um, write down on the calendar and um, join us here next week. And... Uh, Thank you so much for coming on the show with me today. Well, thank you so much for, for inviting me. It's been a pleasure. I hope I haven't babbled too incoherently. No, I've been enwrapped the whole time. Well, well thank you. <laughs> okay, everybody. I'm so blessed again to share time and space with everyone who tuned in and late listening through podcasts. Thank you, Alternative Talk Radio, 1150 KKNW, Marilyn Milano, Eric Ryder, our producer and engineer. Don Avery and Larry Mitchell for permission to share rapidly approaching ecstasy in our shows. Thank you so much. You can find that CD on Amazon or at donavery.com. Love wins when we choose love. And that's a circle. Love and namaste. Kelly J. for joining us today at Conscious Speaks Radio, a place where we come together each week to discuss the mysteries of life, the light and the dark, the sweet and the salty, the divine mysteries of being human, a place where we mentally hold hands, naturally gravitating to each other through the cosmic airwaves of space and time, knowing like bees to honey and goodness, this is a place to take comfort in the knowing that it is from and through each other that we grow in our greatest leaps and bounds. Remember the first moment you learned about the things that divide us? Race, or religion, or gender? In One Family Indivisible, Stephen Greenbaum shares his life story through the prism of spirituality. Throughout our lives, we learn a multitude of lessons from a multitude of different experiences, and each lesson shapes us. Greenbaum remembers the moment in his childhood when, as a young Jew, he first understood the Holocaust. He remembers falling out with his father over patriarchy. He remembers the grief of losing far too many loved ones. And he 
remembers questioning God. His spiritual crisis led to a revelation. There is no inherently right or wrong spiritual tradition. What counts are not our beliefs, but what we do with them. This moment of understanding spurred him towards a new faith, inner faith. In One Family Indivisible, Stephen Greenbaum's memoir catalogs a life spent working to break through the door to mutual respect. A powerful story for people of all religions, races, and creeds. Pick up your copy today at Amazon.com.